podcast, the podcast that's, well, all about audiology. I'm your host, Dr. Lilach Saperstein, an audiologist so passionate about this field. In our last full episode, we spoke about how hearing works, all the complex and fascinating structures and how they all work together. We spoke about so much, and yet we only just scratched the surface of how the different parts of our auditory system work together so that we can hear. Today, we're going to talk all about hearing loss. What happens when some parts of that system aren't working in the typical way, or if pieces are missing, and so on. We'll be diving into the different kinds of hearing loss, what's meant by different levels of hearing loss, and we'll also touch on many different causes of hearing loss. Just before we begin, I want to remind you that I'm interested in hearing your comments, answering any questions you have, and that the All About You episodes Every other episode is all about you and your experience with audiology. So please feel free to contact me on the website, allaboutaudiology.com, or DM me on Instagram at allaboutaudiologypodcast. And of course, we have our Facebook group, All About Audiology. So let's dive in to today's topic. There are two major categories or types of hearing loss. Well, actually three. So there's conductive hearing loss. There's sensory neural hearing loss, and there's mixed hearing loss, which is when a person has the components of both conductive and sensory neural. So two, but really three, if a person has a combination of the first two. To review from last week, we have the outer ear, the middle ear, and the inner ear. And when there's a problem with the outer or middle ear, this can lead to a conductive hearing loss because sounds are not being conducted properly into the inner ear where the cochlea is. So some causes of this kind of hearing loss, of conductive hearing loss, will have to do with anything that's blocking sounds from getting into the ear canal, like impacted wax, or any kind of issue with the ear canal itself, like swimmer's ear, surfer's ear, where bony growths can form along the ear canal and eventually block the ear canal. Causes can be congenital from birth, like atresia, microtia, or anosia, that these are different malformations of the ear and the ear canal. So anosia is having no outer ear, microtia is when the outer ear is very small, and atresia of the ear canal is a narrowing of the ear canal, and there can be stenosis of the ear canal where the skin is actually blocking. These are different outer ear causes of conductive hearing loss. There can also be middle ear causes, and here again, these can be present from birth, like malformations of the ossicles or missing ossicles or a problem with the bones in the body overall, and these could all contribute to the conductive hearing loss and sounds are not being conducted in. There are also acquired issues that happen throughout the lifespan, things like fluid accumulation in the middle ear space, a perforated eardrum, ear infections and chronic ear infections that lead to cholesteatoma, and this is another kind of bony growth, but in the middle ear space, which can then erode the ossicles. Another thing that can happen is something called otosclerosis, which is fixation of the ossicles. When the stapes isn't moving properly, then again, the sounds are not being conducted in. In general, with the things that can cause conductive hearing loss, that I just gave you a couple of examples of, there can be a medical or surgical treatment option. It's not necessarily permanent the way that a sensory neural hearing loss is. There might be an option. Now, this is, of course, a generalization. And if you or someone you know is dealing with these issues, it's extremely tough, often very painful, and a lengthy journey 
we're talking about surgeries. Even if there might be an option, there's no guarantees. And sometimes people aren't candidates. I hope you'll write in to share your journey with me and other listeners dealing with the same thing so we can not only connect, but learn from one another. With conductive hearing loss, you'll likely be referred to an ENT, the ear, nose, and throat doctor, to discuss your treatment options. And of course, you'll be seeing your audiologist for diagnostic testing. People with conductive hearing loss are generally excellent candidates for hearing aids because the problem with a conductive hearing loss is usually a problem of volume. The sounds are not getting conducted in, but the inner ear is working properly, then the problem is not with actually hearing, it's getting the sounds in to our organ of hearing. So if a hearing aid is able to provide the extra amplification, making sounds louder, then a person will generally have good understanding and benefit a lot from using a hearing aid. And this is in contrast to the second type of hearing loss, which corresponds to damage in the inner ear and of the nerve, the kind of hearing loss that's called sensory neural hearing loss, referring to the sensory cells in the cochlea and the eighth nerve. Definitely go back to episode three if you haven't heard it to learn more about the different parts of our ear and about the cochlea. When there's damage to the cochlear hair cells or other parts of the inner ear, it's almost always permanent and currently it's irreversible. Here's hoping on that research. Mammalian hair cells do not regenerate, but fish, birds, and amphibians do. And there's research going on hoping to translate those mechanisms to humans. But as it stands, sensory neural hearing loss is permanent. This kind of hearing loss can be present from birth, from any sort of structural malformation, or from genetic causes that affect the development of the structures in the inner ear, in utero. Sometimes there's a syndrome that affects multiple body systems or different senses, and that's the underlying cause of not only hearing loss, but other things. Another cause of sensory neural hearing loss could be acoustic trauma, which basically means a really, really loud blast or noise that causes damage to the hair cells, like an explosion or gunshots. But it can also be excessive noise exposure over time, like working with machinery or working at very loud music venues. Noise-induced hearing loss is one of those things that audiologists focus on a lot because there's a way to prevent it by minimizing your exposure dose. When we talk about noise exposure, we have to discuss it in terms of dose. The dose is not only how loud the exposure noise is, but also for how long. So if you can reduce how loud the sounds are by using hearing protection like earplugs or earmuffs and reduce the length of the exposure, then you can reduce the risk. Sensory neural hearing loss is also associated with the natural wear and tear of the body, leading to presbycusis, which is hearing loss associated with aging. With sensory neural hearing loss, it's really variable how someone will do with hearing aids because it's not only a degradation of the hearing ability in terms of volume, but there's often a distortion of the clarity that accompanies sensory neural hearing loss. This doesn't mean that people with sensory neural hearing loss aren't candidates for hearing aids. They definitely are and can benefit a lot from having a hearing aid, but it does help to explain why the hearing aid is not a solution to all the hearing problems. It's actually not fixing what's wrong. It is an aid 
right? A person can get a lot of benefit from the hearing aid and understanding what kind of hearing loss a person has plays a big role in how they're going to do with hearing aids. So we've talked about conductive and sensory neural hearing losses. The third type of hearing loss is mixed when there's components of both types. Okay, now let's talk about configuration. Which kinds of sounds can a person hear or not hear? Humans are able to hear from 20 hertz all the way to 20,000 hertz. This means we can hear really low pitches, rumbly sounds like the bass, and we can also hear very high frequency sounds that have a high pitch like string instruments or a piccolo or a flute or a bird. And within this range, there's between 250 hertz and 8,000 hertz. This is the range of speech. And these are the frequencies that are tested in a regular hearing test and charted on a graph called an audiogram. You can think of it like the keys across a piano. The low pitches are on the left, going to higher and higher pitches on the right. So when you go in for a test, you'll hear low pitch sounds and high pitch sounds, and you'll have to raise your hand every time you hear it. In speech, we have lower pitch sounds that are like the vowels, like ah, ooh, and also some consonants like m mm and l. And we also have much higher pitch sounds that make up a lot of the other consonants like t or f. And a very problematic one is s, the letter s, because these sounds are the ones that carry a lot of linguistic meaning. Think of how important it is for you to hear the letter S and then you know if something is plural or not. You could know if the person is using a possessive apostrophe S or third person singular, he eats, she eats. In speech, those high frequency consonants carry a lot of meaning. Another way to think about this is by looking at the speech banana. Did I say speech banana? Yes, I did. This is an image, Google it, that shows you on the audiogram, on the graph of the different pitches and the different volumes, where the different sounds of speech, the different letters, fall along this frequency spectrum, and it kind of makes the shape of a banana. And what you can do is you can graph out a person's hearing loss results, their audiogram, on top of the speech banana, and see which sounds they're going to have trouble hearing. Now we have to discuss what are the different levels of hearing loss. When we test for your threshold, that means how loud does a sound have to be for you to hear it? Or another way of saying that is, what's the softest volume that you can hear for a particular sound? So when we're testing for this, we make the sound softer and louder, going softer than you can hear, and then slowly raising it until you, can until you respond, and going back down again, and going back up again, until we get an accurate threshold. And we do this testing method for all the sounds across the frequencies that we're testing. Loudness or volume is measured in decibels, a dB scale, and on the audiogram, this is going down. Down the audiogram means it's getting louder and louder and louder. And if someone can hear very soft sounds like rustling of leaves, their responses are going to be at the top of the graph. Whispering is about 10 or 15 decibels, and normal speech conversation is about 50. Someone yelling is about 75, and an airplane is maybe 100. Sometimes you go to a rock concert and it's at 115 or something really, really loud. And I'll tell you that the dB scale is actually logarithmic. So it gets exponentially louder the higher the dB is. 
on the audiogram, the dB scale is graphed so that the lower down on the graph, the more hearing loss there is, or the louder sounds have to be before a person can hear them. At the top is the normal range of hearing up to 20 or 25, and then mild hearing loss, moderate, moderately severe, severe, and profound. The lower down on the audiogram, the higher the levels of hearing loss. So you can start to see why we don't give a percentage of hearing loss. It's not so simple. You have to know the type of hearing loss, conductive, sensory, neural, or mixed. You need to know the degree of the hearing loss, mild to profound, and you have to understand that configuration might be different for different frequencies. It might be flat, that means that the same level of hearing loss across all the frequencies, but it might be sloping to a hearing loss that's worse in the higher frequencies, which is very common. Presbycusis often presents as a high frequency hearing loss. As we age, the hearing of the higher frequencies degrades first, and then the clarity of speech becomes very difficult. And this is why one of the most common complaints of people with hearing loss is they can hear, but they can't understand. They know you're speaking with them, but they can't make out the words or the meaning. And this is extremely common with a high-frequency hearing loss or a sloping hearing loss. I hope this episode was helpful for you, and I'm so glad you're a listener of the All About Audiology podcast. Again, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you learned today and what's been your experience with audiology. Have you had your hearing tested? Does this information help you understand the audiogram of your family member who had their hearing tested? Let me know where this lands for you. I welcome your comments, questions, and your feedback. Send me an email, a DM on Instagram, or a review on iTunes, and it might make it into the All About You episode. I'm Dr. Lila Saperstein, and you've been listening to All About Audiology.